0: At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Welcome to our series, Unstoppable, Bound in His Love, Freed by His Spirit, where we're journeying through what many call the greatest chapter in the Bible, Romans 8, to uncover a more lasting force than hard work and a more enduring purpose than momentary success. Praise God for truths that we can proclaim how many really meant it when you said oh lord we need you yeah do you mean that every once in a while I have a day where I think you know I think I'm doing pretty well I got this and then like the next day God says you need humble my son and convinces me that I'm desperately in need of his daily sustaining grace I hope that you'll take some time today or some time of the week, stop by or um, next Sunday at the latest. But take time to get on your knees, one, it's a good place to be, two, to to write on the floor. Uh, I I think it'd just be wonderful that for the rest of our ministry that we would know that our prayers and his promises and his word is undergirding everything that we do. And so carpet will come, you know, as soon as two weeks from now, maybe three or four or five or six, (laughs) but we got a couple of weeks just to put kind of in permanent ink on this floor the word of God that speaks powerfully to us, or maybe there's a prayer for our ministry that you would like to place on the floor. Maybe there's something deep in your life that you would just want to know that it is there and everything we do as a church is built upon that hope that you have that God will work powerfully in his situation. We put a bunch of permanent markers out in about, feel free. We even we even have little mats, in case you didn't want to get your pants dirty or whatever, um, if your knees aren't that good, we try to make it easy as possible for you, uh, feel free to do that sometime because we, we really believe that, uh, that, that God's word is essential to everything that we do here. Um, and that's, that's why it's such a priority for us for this time, that every time we gather for worship, you know that we'll take time in God's word and we'll seek to allow the Spirit of God to speak to us from it. Because without the Word of God, I have nothing to say. And without the Word of God, we have nothing solid to stand on. There's some good financial principles to, to base your you know, financial practices on and that kind of thing. But truly, moth and rust will corrode and thieves will break in and steal. So even those things, yeah, they can't count on it. But the Word of God, that will stand forever. Grass withers, the flowers fade, but God's word never will. So we want that at the center of all that we do. Well, Romans chapter 8, let me encourage you to turn there if you have your Bibles. Romans chapter 8, we've been studying for the last about 10 to 12 weeks on Romans 5 through chapter 8. And we get to a closing section of of one of the golden chapters of scripture, Romans chapter 8. And we're posed with this question. So what do you think? It's a question that isn't asked a lot in our American culture. It seems that we've bought into this idea that we can just keep going. Let's go to this. Okay, now let's hurry here. And let's go there. Let's do this. Let's do that. And rarely has there been a time in the American culture where you've experienced this season where you can just sit and reflect. Some of your holidays were like this. This past weekend, because you have this family to meet with and this family and this family and this activity to do, and you get done to this point of the end of the weekend, and you think, Oh, I'm exhausted. Now, some of you had the benefit of having a quiet thing. How many would say my Thanksgiving was a quiet one? Could I see your hand? It's beautiful. And you had the temptation just to turn the TV on and watch football games or watch movies or such things, and no time for reflection. Or maybe you had a season where you just got quiet and you thought, okay, what does that all mean? The business world is starting to understand the importance of reflection. There was a recent study done by, in, in a customer service organization, and they found that their, um, their employees were 25% more productive when they had a regular practice of using the last 15 minutes of their day to reflect on their experiences of their day. Educators are learning this. Teachers are learning that if you pack your daily lesson plan with so much content and material, and if you don't give time for students to reflect and process and try to discover meaning and future benefit from what they've learned, then that education greatly diminishes its positive impact in their life. We find that as a church that um, we're committed to the word of God. But if we're not allowing time for our church family to reflect on what they've heard and process, what does it mean for their lives, the effect of the word that they've heard is going to have a diminished effect. It's one of the reasons why our small group ministries, many of them, uh, utilize a significant part of their gatherings to say, okay, so what? We heard the word this past Sunday. This is what it says What difference is it making in your life? And that's where Paul is getting to as he closes Romans chapter 8. The specific question he says is, what shall we say to these things? What should we say about all this? Paul's referring to what he just taught in the previous chapters of, of the book of Romans. In fact, he's actually referring to the entire book up to this point. What is the book of Romans? The book of Romans is a clear description of the good news of Jesus Christ. When Paul began the book of Romans in verse 8, in verse 15, he says that I'm eager to preach to you the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to all who will believe. That's how he begins. And then then he shares with us through this opening chapters of Romans, what is the gospel of God that leads to salvation to those who believe? Over the last several weeks, we've looked at chapter 5 through chapter 8. So, and I would say that these verses, even more specifically, are referring to that section of Romans where Paul is saying, okay, now let's talk about this. What does that mean to you? All these things that he taught, all these things that we learned over these past few weeks... What should we say about that? Now, some of you have been here. Some of you haven't. But here's what we learned. We learned that though we our sin that we have committed caused us to be an enemy of God, that the death and resurrection of Jesus has made peace with God. And for those who believe in his work of redemption, we are made to be children of God. In fact, your sins didn't keep you, doesn't keep you away from God. In fact, it was while you were sinners that God sent his son to die for you. He loved you in your mess. And he sent Jesus while you were messy so that you would believe in him, so that your lives could be transformed, so you could be justified by faith so now we're at peace with God. We learned that, that this, uh, this gift from God was kind of like what happened from Adam, but different. Because Adam rebelled against God, the consequence of sin casted down to every generation of humanity. Well, the free gift from Jesus, everyone who believes in him, the one man, now life, whoever believes in him, now life comes to every person who receives him. So when you place your faith in him, you unite in his death. You died to sin through Jesus. Death, you are dead to me. I don't want to see you. I don't want to hear from you. You're not welcome in my house. You're not welcome in my life. You are dead to me. But the life of Jesus, now you're identifying with that. Jesus, who will never die again. That's your story now. Because of your faith in Jesus, you will never die spiritually again. In fact, your physical death will only introduce your spiritual eternity. So you have nothing to fear. In fact, you can boldly say, because of all that, There's no condemnation for me. There's no condemnation. Because I stand in the liberty in which Christ has made me free. So I'm His. He's fulfilled the requirement of the law for me. I stand right with God. Because of that, His Spirit comes to live inside of me. The Holy Spirit lives in every believer. I was amazed as I read over Romans chapter 8 again this week how many times it says the Spirit lives in you. The Spirit lives in me. The Spirit dwells in me. It's like if you didn't get the first time, maybe the second time. If you didn't get the second time, maybe the third. Maybe the fourth. Maybe, the, maybe you are one of those dudes that it takes five times to tell you. So he does. The Spirit of God dwells in you. And he fights your battles. Because sometimes you don't know how to pray. So he prays for for you. He takes those requests and he takes them to the Father and gives them to you so they're always centered in the center of the Father's will. And those things that come against you, he works together for good. And he will take you all the way home. So what should we say about that? That's what he's saying in these next few verses. Let's go there. Romans chapter 8 and verse 31. He says, So what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Say that with me all things. All things. If he didn't spare his own son, surely he will graciously give us all things. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? So who can separate us from the love of Christ? So tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, or depth, or anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus Our Lord. Wow, the good news that's in the midst of that. So he helps us understand as we think about, okay, what does this mean for me? All this that we've been studying, what does this mean for me? It means that we conquer by the God who loves us. That no matter how you feel about your life, no matter how you feel about the circumstances in your life, You are a conqueror through Christ who loves us. And he he helps us come to these conclusions by giving us some rhetorical questions in this passage that leads us to this conclusion. First of all, verse 31, he says, Who can be against us? As I think about all these things that I've just learned about his gospel, about his truth, it's true for all those that believe in him, Who can be against us? And the answer that you will easily come up with is no one. Romans 8.31, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So since God is for us, who can successfully stand against us? Nobody. And he, and he gives us the evidence, not just like a, a chant that you can say that hopefully convince you. No, this is, he gives evidence to back this up. He says, so this God who has wielded the greatest armory ever in existence, he wields that against anything that stands against us. And he's proven he'll use it. What is the greatest thing that God has as his resources? His one and only son. And if God won't withhold him to meet your needs, don't you think he'll take care of everything else? Nothing can stand against you. It's kind of like that military parade on Armistice Day or, or you see it in international uh, news. You see uh, the, the ruler of this country Parade before its citizens, the the massive army and the high-tech powerful weapons. Why does he do that? Well, to convince his citizens that they're okay, they're secure, because the government, the rulers, the armies has their back. They will defend against anything that comes against them. And that's what Jesus, that's what God parades in front of you today. Okay, so, so just picture in your mind and in your heart when those things that you feel are coming against you, just watch Jesus carrying the cross in front of you and the Father saying, look what I have. I have my son, who the worst enemy of all mankind couldn't stand up against. Death tried to defeat him and couldn't. Don't you think I've got this? There's nothing that can stand up against you. If, if, Jesus, if God won't withhold Jesus from meeting your needs, don't you think he'll take care of the rest of them? But as I read that, maybe, it's some, maybe I become a little cynical or maybe, I just, maybe I'm just a doubter at times. I say, so how could Paul honestly write this? Who could come against us? When Paul had plenty come against him. When Paul would say in his testimony to the churches that he wrote, For Christ's sake, I have been arrested and I've been beaten. I've been crushed with stones in their attempt to take my life. I've spent years in Caesar's prison. How could he honestly say, who can come against us? Because it sure seems like a lot came against Paul, doesn't it? In fact, he, could, he, he, he says all that, but then he says, so nothing comes against me. Well, Paul had come to realize that the things of this world don't truly satisfy. He would write to the Philippians and say, I've learned that in all things to be content. I've learned to be poor and be okay. I've learned to be rich It'd be okay because I found that riches don't bring satisfaction anyway, and poverty can't rob me from what I have through Christ. So I've learned that in all those things, though in some sense I feel they're threatening my comfort, they can't threaten me. And my comfort doesn't satisfy anyway. So, what can stand against me? Good try, Satan. Your troops went against Jesus and failed. Your troops went against the apostle Paul and failed. And even today, the troops of the enemy come against each one of us and they will fail because we have the example of Jesus. Because what's true of Jesus, what's true of Paul is true of the rest of the kids of God every single one of us it's like Paul would say he said I don't want you to and he wrote this to Philippians he says I don't want you to worry about my imprisonment because my chains have resulted in the furtherance of the gospel it's given me time to write letters to those churches that we've planted And because of those letters, there's a little church in Algonac that will be strengthened and guided 2,000 years later. So what the enemy intends to use to hinder the gospel, God is going to use to propel the gospel. And that's what he meant when he said, so God works all things together for good. And some of you, we we don't see it yet. And and I know, sometimes we might not see the fulfillment of it until we're there face to face, but his promise still stands. Nothing is outside of that list of things that God says works together for good to those that love him. So enemy, come against me, but you know what God's going to do? He's going to take what you're intending, he's going to flip it, he's going to use it for good. So nothing can come against me. Nothing can stand against me. That's why we can truly say that. Who can stand against me? Nothing. Because whatever does is going to be flipped to use for his glory. But he's not done. Mary, thank you for sharing your story last week. You've been through it. You, you gave us a glimpse into that. Thank you. And it's amazing that you continue to give praise for the depth, in the midst of the depths of, of struggles that, that you've had in your life. Mary shared with me that there was a song that just helps provide an answer to people because she said she gets asked a lot. Mary, how do you stand so strong when you've gone through such dark experiences? Here's a song that's dear to her heart. The song's called Jesus Send the Rain. I don't know if you've heard it. I'm not going to sing it. But here's the words. It says, I can count a million times people asking me how I can praise you with all that I've gone through. The question just amazes me. Can circumstances possibly change who I am forever in you? Maybe since my life was changed long before these rainy days, it's never really ever crossed my mind to turn my back on you, O Lord my only shelter from the storm, but instead I draw close through these times. So I pray, bring me joy, bring me peace, bring the chance to be free, bring me anything that brings you glory. I know there'll be days when this life brings me pain, but if that's what it takes to praise you, Jesus, bring the rain. I am yours regardless of the dark clouds that may loom above because you are much greater than my pain. You who made a way for me by suffering your destiny. So tell me, what's a little rain? So I pray, bring me joy, bring me peace, bring the chance to be free, bring me anything that brings you glory. I know there'll be days when life brings me pain, but if that's what it takes to praise you, Jesus, bring the rain. For a follower of Jesus, that's reality. That's the power of the gospel in our lives. That's why Paul is saying, now think about this. This is what this means, that you've been made peace with God. The Spirit dwells within you. He's adopted you into the family. You are His. So what does that mean to you? Nothing can touch you. You are His. Nothing can bring a charge against you. Number two, who can bring a charge against us? The answer is no one. Verse 33, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? If God, It is God who justifies Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. Much More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Again, this is Paul writing this. Arrested multiple times, accused of crimes against the Jewish law, against Caesar's law, and even accused of sinning against God himself. And many times the church would experience this very same thing. They would experience this opposition of people accusing them of all types of things. In fact, it would be in the third century that Christians would be condemned to die because they were accused of being atheists. They were called atheists because in the Roman Empire they had begun to deify their emperor. So Christians were the one group in the Roman Empire that refused to bow down and worship the emperor. So because of their refusal, they were called atheists. Because they were atheists, they should die. Hundreds, thousands faced the hungry lions and met their death in the Roman Colosseum. So here's Paul, who probably was executed by the Roman emperor also. And he could say, who can bring a charge against me? And we say, well, how could he say this? Everybody did. But the reality was, none of their words matter. In the end, they're all little temporary blips of false accusation. So for this tiny little blip of life on this earth, they faced execution, being called an atheist. But the reality they knew was that for all of eternity, I'll be with Jesus who has declared me innocent. He's declared me as right with God. How many here have ever been falsely accused by anybody in this world? Doesn't matter. Because Jesus' words is what matters. And he says, you are mine. If you place your faith in him, that is. And that's the assumption that Paul has as, as people are reading his letter. As they get to this point, his assumption is that you have been so rocked by the truth that God reached down and rescued you from your sin and made you his child that he could confidently say, so nobody can bring any charge against you. They can't do that. You say, Yeah, but I've been fired. Yeah, but that doesn't matter in eternity. That might bring some disappointment now, but if you truly are trying to find your significance in what your boss has to say about you, you're building a life on sandy ground. Some of you are in a marriage that you just wish your spouse would speak words of affirmation and tenderness to you. And sometimes you feel like you're, you're starving for that affirmation. Do you know what God's answer is? Well, don't seek it there. Seek it from me. Because you married an imperfect spouse. Raise your hand if you're married. Keep your hand up if you <clears throat> keep your hand up if your spouse is imperfect. Okay, thank you. So don't look for your ultimate affirmation from that spouse. That was never God's intention. Now he does want your spouse to be used as his spokesman at times and that's oh it's gracious but remember that's that's kind of like icing on the cake for you. God has given his word to say to you what you need to know is whose opinion matters, and that's mine. And I say to you, nobody can accuse you because our, I've already declared who you are. You are loved, you're accepted, you're treasured, you're good, you're noble, you're holy because of the work that I've done in you through my son Jesus. Jesus. What do you need when you're going through seasons of self-doubt? You need the gospel, God's word, to say, "No, He's rescued you. He's got a future in store for you. That's going to take all these things that feel so hard. It's going to turn them into tiny little things that you can't. One day, you won't even remember what made you so depressed." It's the power of His truth. Paul says, "What should we say about all this? We can say nobody can accuse us. Nobody can bring any charge against us." Paul's Paul's a realist. You know, we read that verse. Um, In verse 36, maybe that caused you some questions of why would he say this? He says, For your sake, we're being killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. There's some words of affirmation for you. Where Paul says, The reality is, if you're going to follow Jesus, it just might get you killed. Paul wanted to prepare the followers of Jesus with this thought that if you're going to live godly in this present world, you will suffer. So if if you've come to Jesus with this thought that now my life's going to be better, let me warn you, that is not in the scripture if you define better by less difficult. This world is broken. There will be challenge for each one of us. Cancer is no respecter of persons. Nor is infertility. Nor is poverty. Nor is a corrupt government. That's part of the human experience. So Paul says for every 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 day we feel like we're being led to the slaughter. He's saying to the Christians, some of you are going to die for your faith. but the truth to cling to is that the reality is nobody can take the life that God has given to you that that is secure in Christ because of the work that he has done for you nobody can bring a charge against you because you're his so what do we do when we feel defeated and unworthy and rejected what do we do when we feel like a failure we rehearse the gospel we rehearse the good news the truth that God has given to us we worship why do we every sunday we come together and we proclaim some of these truths in our songs because we need the gospel we need to know that we can't fight our battles on our own but he fights our battles for us that in Christ we are more than conquerors we come together to remind ourselves that we desperately need him But he's designed it that way. That's how he designed the world. Placed us in a perfect garden. Placed humanity in a perfect garden. And said, now I'm going to provide everything you need. Just find it in me. We come together to remind ourselves that everything we need is found in Christ. We worship him. So sing. Sing to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We need one another. Sometimes I need the song that you're singing. Sometimes you need the song that I'm singing. That's why we come together. To proclaim the truth of the gospel. Thirdly, that third question what can separate us from the love of Christ? And the answer is, ain't nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ. He says in all these things we're more than conquerors through him who loves us. I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of Christ. The reality is there are times where we feel like circumstances have separated us from the love of Christ. So, Paul makes sure we know. That no, circumstances don't. Sometimes it feels it, but the truth is, feelings are a pretty bad judge of what's true. So, anchor your life in what his word has proclaimed to us. There's marital trouble, there's sickness, there's house fires, there's famine, there's nakedness, poverty threats on my life. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. You can't get away from his love. That's why previously he said where sin increases grace abounds. Even your sin, even your failures when you struggle and struggle with doubt, when you struggle with temptation, The Apostle Paul says, but it's not your your behavior that keeps you saved. That's the cool thing about his truth. That even our failures can't separate us from the love of Christ. That we are securely held by his love. Sometimes I even get ashamed when I begin to think too much about my Good behavior, and I begin to think that my salvation is shaky because my obedience is shaky, or my security in Him is questioned because my confidence in Him is questioned. But my security is not based on my actions, when I am faithless, He is faithful. Which creates in me a deeper devotion to Him. It's kind of like the those climbing walls. Have you have you gone into a facility that has these big climbing walls? Um, like several holidays ago, our family went to a, one of these places trying to get out of the house and went to one of these places when when my girls were little, six seven years old, and we got them a couple of tickets. They get in line and watch these kids try to climb this huge apparatus that. I don't know was as high as the roof deck there, but got to be probably as high as the bottom of the lights. I mean, they were, they were huge, and there's these poles, these pillars that went into this little design, and it reached all the way to the top. And we put our little girls in line for this. And it starts small, and we saw all these girls fail. All these kids in front of them, they failed. But then it got time for, for my daughter. I'm not going to say her name because then I have to give her a dollar. That's our, that's our family rule. Um, I'm going to try not to say her name. If I slip, I want you to forget that I said her name. So she begins to, she, she, it's her turn. So she has the harness on and the cable strapped to her back, and she climbs to the first one and climbs to the second one. Pretty soon, she's six feet in the air. And what are we doing down below? Come on, you can do it. You can do it. You can do it. Come on. One more. Just go a little further. Just keep going. You can do it. And so she reaches out for the next pole. She climbs to that next pole. Now she's 12 feet in the air. Now she's 15 feet in the air. And we're thinking, oh man, I'm not sure I could do this. I can't believe she's continuing. Come on. You can do this. Come on. Come on. Just a little bit further. And she moves to the next, to the next, and the next. And finally, there's a bell at the very end. But she's got to really stretch and there's nothing underneath her. There's not even a net to catch her. But she stretches all, and then she comes back. Come on, you can do it. You're going to be fine. You can do it. So she, and then she comes back. And finally she stretches. She reaches and touches, and then she just launches herself all the way over to that tower. She, and, and then she kind of stands up on it, pushes the button. She wins. How does she do that? because she learned she's got this cable that's, that's connected to her, that's holding her securely, and she can step across this big gulf of open air because her safety is not based on her balance even. It's based on the strength of that cable holding her there. And that's what Paul's saying to you. He's saying, I know. It looks like there's empty air all around you. It looks like you are doomed. You're even being told you're doomed. You're being told that your life is empty if you don't get such and such. If you don't hear words from so so and so. But Paul says, "That's that's not what we anchor our lives on as believers. No. Here's what we say to all this. We're more than conquerors in Christ. And you can go and you can proceed. I don't care what people say against you. What has God the Father said about you? I don't care what people are not providing for you. What does God say he's providing for you? So we can live more than a conqueror, a super victor, because of all that the Father has done for us. So there's questions that Paul says, so what should we say about this? I'll give, you, I'll give you the question. If you believe it, church, you give me the answer. What can separate you from the love of Christ? Nothing. Who can bring a charge against you? Nothing. What was the first question? If God is for us, who can be against us? That's truth. Embrace it. Hide it in your heart. Because it feels pretty good now. You're going to experience some days ahead where you're going to have fears. You're going to have disappointments. A shopping spree isn't going to solve it. Stuffing your face with chocolate isn't going to make you feel better. Yelling at your spouse to start doing what they're supposed to be doing or saying what they're supposed to be saying isn't going to be ultimately satisfying anyway. It's not how God's designed it. He's designed it to come from Him. And the one that hasn't withheld his own son, don't you think he'll provide everything that we need? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for giving to us that confident assurance that everything we need is found in you. Lord, forgive us for those times that, that we've become convinced that we need something outside of you. Lord, bring us back to that, re- that, that place of security that we are anchored to you. and Nothing can separate us from you, Lord. And when we're reaching and longing and it looks like there's threats all around us, may we be secure in the truth that has never failed us, that we are yours and you are mine. Thank you for salvation. And Lord, if there is anyone here that doesn't yet know you, that has not embraced you, Lord, that's still been keeping you at arm's length, they've they've been content to let it be their parents' faith or their grandparents' faith or their spouse's faith, but it's not theirs, Lord, I pray that today would be the day of their salvation. Not that they would be reaching for something that you never promised, not reaching for a life that's easier or less stress-free, but Lord, would be reaching for security, reaching for a spirit to live inside of them, reaching for the promise of heaven, reaching for security in our day, everyday existence. Lord, may that be their hunger and may they give themselves to you for it. Be with us as we process this, as we think of this, as we think of the consequences to the gospel. Lord, I pray that our lives will be changed by it. Tune our hearts to sing together, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.